0: New Comics Day, Wednesday, May 11th, 2016, and you're listening to God and Comics, the show where we accept no government oversight and all of our ritual acts are powered by CGI. <laughs> On today's show, we talk about the new Marvel film Captain America: Civil War. We'll dig into the ethical questions it raises about power, responsibility, and whether or not it's okay to have a hot Aunt May. All this plus our recommendation this or that and a whole lot more. I'm your host Father Jonathan Michigan. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you?
1: I'm at Church of the Messiah in
2: Fredericksburg, Virginia.
0: And also on the line today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you?
2: I'm at Christ Church, Cooperstown, New York.
0: Okay, well it's good it's good to see you guys. And uh, did either one of you manage to get out for free comic book day this past Saturday?
1: Yes, indeed. I was lined up at the door with my daughter.
0: Oh, you took your daughter. That's exciting.
1: Yes. She got her free strawberry shortcake and free uh, DC superhero girls comics. Oh, fun.
0: Cool. Well, uh, I hope that many of you got out to Free Comic Book Day, and if you didn't, uh, good news, it'll happen again in a year. So, mark that down. (laughs) But in the meantime, we're going to go into our recommendation. Father Matt, what do you have for us?
2: My recommendation this week is an early project from the comic book superstar Grant Morrison, and uh, it was written in the years uh, around, I, I think it was 1988 maybe is when it started. And it's called Zenith. I've been reading a lot of, of offbeat British superhero books recently. <laughs> I think my last recommendation was Miracle Man. And uh, I, I was reading the Alan Moore Captain Britain uh, run. This is one I hadn't read before. And I really liked it a lot. Uh, The artwork is by uh, Steve uh, Ewell. It was originally published in in the British science fiction magazine, 2000 AD, it's called, which is probably most famous for uh, publishing uh, stories uh, about the character Judge Dredd. But Zenith is their take on the superhero genre. And it's no doubt a response to what at the time was the new, heady, adult, deconstructed superhero stories by guys like Alan Moore and and, and Frank Miller. And so this is Morrison's take and and 2000 AD's take. And it's similar to Moore's Watchmen. Morrison created a whole century-long spanning history of costumed superheroes uh, that mirrors the universes of Marvel and, and DC, but also serves as a commentary on the 20th century, in the 1980s in particular. The title character, Zenith, is like a mascot for the, the superficial me generation of the 80s. Uh, not only is he a superhuman, but he is also a pop star. And he looks like a combination of, uh, of Morrissey, the lead singer of the Smiths, and, uh, and Kid Flash. Um, he, he also bears more than a passing resemblance to, uh, to uh, Morrison's Animal Man uh, with, the, with the jacket and, and the spandex and everything. And he's kind of a self-centered brat uh, that manages to be a hero despite himself as he's dragged into a struggle against the Lovecraftian demons from another dimension, the gear or the many angled ones. The character Zenith, he's, he's the product of a superhuman project headed by the British government during World War II. Uh, the first of which was, was Maximan, sort of like the British version of Captain America, a super soldier of sorts, who was created to combat Nazi Germany's own Masterman, their own super soldier. And after the war, the project continued with a new team of superhumans called Cloud9. This team, they came of age during the 1960s, but they choose flower power over being tools of the British military, and they rebel. Zenith is the son of two of the members of Cloud9 who are now mostly believed to be dead, and the other surviving members are leading... Civilian lives. One of the characters, the, the psychedelic sorcerer Mandala, aka uh, Peter St. John, he looks like a cross between John Lennon and Doctor Strange. And he's abandoned his countercultural past and has become a member of parliament working for the Conservative Party. And he's probably my favorite character in the series. He's a really pretty interesting guy. I think admirable that they make him a very sympathetic figure, despite Morrison's clear, you know, kind of more liberal political leadings. Other members of the uh, characters in the story are Voltage, a.k.a. Ruby Fox, who is working as a journalist, and Red yeah. Dragon, or Sladewell Reese, who owns a pub. And uh, all three uh, of these characters get pulled out of their superhuman retirement and along with Zenith are embroiled in this multi-dimensional battle against the terrifying Logir. The book, it's been out of publication for a number of years, but it was recently republished in, in four separate volumes, uh, representing phase one, two, three, and four of the series. Uh, these books were, uh, they, they were a delight to read, really. I mean, I, I enjoyed them immensely. I, and I can't believe I never heard of it until recently. Grant Morrison is is one of my uh, favorite authors. And, and despite being an early effort, this may be some of the my... I, I think it might be some of the best stuff that Morrison's ever done, really. Uh, it isn't nearly as off the wall as The Invisibles or Doom Patrol but it has that offbeat quality that makes uh, Morrison really great. If you're a fan of of Grant Morrison's writing or a fan of unique kind of alternative superhero books, you definitely need to check out Zenith. It's it's well worth your time.
0: Thank you, Father Matt, for that recommendation. And uh, we'll move now to our main conversation on Captain America Civil War. And joining us for that conversation is Alexi Sargent. Alexi is a junior fellow at First Things Magazine. He has written for First Things, Alatea, Acculturated, The Philadelphia Inquirer, and the Yale Daily News. He's also an aspiring playwright and director. And he wrote the screenplay for a new student feature film called Captain Invincible is Dead. Alexei, welcome to the program.
3: Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me here.
0: Great to have you. Now, I, I understand that uh, next month in New York, you're directing a play that was written by Pope John Paul II. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I had the opportunity to direct The Jewelers' Shop, which is a play written by uh, John Paul II when he was Carol Watilla. And it's an exploration of marriage told through the interlocking and interweaving stories of three couples.
0: Wow, that's, that's interesting. I didn't actually realize that he had written plays. I knew he'd written poetry. Um, yeah, he, but... was,
3: he was very involved with the uh, Rhapsodic Theater uh, that was operating underground in Poland during World War II. And even after the war, he went on and wrote several of these plays in the style of the Rhapsodic Theater.
0: Cool. So where, where is this going to be that, that you're putting this on?
3: Uh, I'm uh, having the performance at the First Things office. We have a art gallery space that we use sometimes for open art openings and chamber concerts. And this will be its uh, first time as a theater venue, so it's pretty exciting. Tickets are online if any listeners in the New York area want to come and see the play. That's going to be June 8th and June 9th.
0: Wonderful. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, Alexi, we're glad that you're here with us today. And, um, you know, Pope John Paul II is very interesting, but we're going to talk about superheroes and, uh, you know, spandex and people punching each other in the face, because that's also yeah. very interesting. Yeah, <laughs>
3: I'm, I'm interested in that, too, definitely. Good,
0: good. Um, so <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about Civil War everybody here has seen the movie at this point now how many of you have read the uh the comic civil war that uh that the movie is at least partly based on any any of you read it i have you have Yeah. um yes yeah, okay. So, so okay so it looks, yep. looks like we've I all had gone. that experience too um so maybe we'll talk about that eventually here as well but let, let's just talk about the movie for a little bit and we're going to we're going to try to be non-spoilery everybody so uh, don't worry too much um if there is a spoiler um we'll bleep it out as if one of us said something naughty that we shouldn't have said no i don't okay. know we'll see um but uh, what what do you guys think what are your first impressions having seen the movie let's start with um with our guest Alexi what did you think
3: i really really enjoyed this movie i loved that the scale was you know Pretty big, but they kept the stakes very personal, so that you know, even though we had these widescreen superhero battles, where I don't know, some of the the inventiveness and excitement of a like comic book splash page was really b- brought to the screen. There was also a lot of investment in the individual, uh, personal, and moral journeys of the characters, such that they even you know forwent the like required city leveling set pieces and focused focused in a little more as the movie went on. I thought. Yeah, I mean,
2: I really enjoyed the movie, too. I mean, it was a thoughtful film. I, I think that, that dealt with a lot of really interesting uh, questions that I'm sure we'll explore throughout the podcast. But it was also, I mean, just satisfying for, <laughs> for a comic book geek like myself. I mean, this was actually the first movie that I think I've ever went to the theater by myself to see. And... Uh, it was frustrating because I kept wanting to be like, oh my gosh, it's the Black Panther. Yeah. Did you see that? That was so cool. You know, or <laughs> like, oh, it's Spider-Man. You know, uh, it was it was just very, very exciting uh, film to watch. The, I think one of the best of the Marvel franchise so far. And, I you know, I was a little worried about how they would pull off squeezing all those characters in there and not all of them kind of get the same focused attention, but um, I mean, it's a captain America film uh, captain America gets the most sustained, you know, character investigation along with, you know, Iron Man and, 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 and Bucky as well. Yeah. I concur with what Alexi and father Matt
1: have said. I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I kind of had the pleasure. I saw it last night. But I guess I had the pleasure of seeing it after having just seen Batman Superman um, Mm. the weekend before. And then I just watched Age of Ultron. You'll notice I was not on our episode. I just watched Age of Ultron and Ant-Man for the first time last weekend as well. So I got to see all three of these films stacked up on top of each other. And I thought that Marvel did. this was the best Marvel film I think we've gotten thus far. And I think the way they've managed to weave all these different movies together, particularly in this one, was just really, really well done. And the way that they've set the stage for the rest of um, the rest of wave three, if you will, of uh, of the Marvel movies, it's just great. I'm I can't say enough good about it. I mean, I enjoyed Batman v. Superman. Um, Sure. I enjoyed it. And, and I agree with a lot of what you said on the prior episode, Father Matt, about it. But the one thing I said to my wife this morning is that, obviously, you've got some parallels going on two superheroes dueling in both films. And this one was clearly the better movie uh, in terms of a superhero duel. In terms of the humor, there was lightness in it. There was, you know, good
3: story in it. It just both, I'd say both sides and both the kind of focal heroes in this movie, Captain America and Iron Man, were just portrayed much more sympathetically. Uh-huh. Uh, like you could see how they were heroes, you could see how they were, you know, flawed and human, and it was done with a with a grace that I found lacking in Batman v Superman. Yeah, I think the absolutely. characters were both just so so isolated they found it so hard to relate to the mass of humanity. You really like couldn't relate back to them as much. Like they, Uh DC had taken its heroes and made them so very much like distant gods, uh, Mm -hmm. that their, their clash. It was, was hard to kind of understand as anything, but a natural disaster, just, you know, wrecking the universe that they existed in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I walked away from the Batman movie and Batman being one of my favorite heroes I had moments during that film where I absolutely disliked Batman. That has never <laughs> happened to me in life. Um, but there were moments where I disliked him because he was unrelatable. He was so cold and distant. Yeah,
0: I, I'm going to sound a slightly different note on on Civil War um, than than you guys. I, l- let me say this positively first. I really enjoyed Civil War while I was watching it. Hmm. Um, it's. <laughs> It's that qualifier. No, see, l- listen. It's very entertaining. They do the uh, the the punchy stuff really well. So, like, as far as like a good like solid action film, I think it was a good solid action film. Wrestlers
3: um, can film a fight.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but there were some things that I didn't really like about this movie. Particularly on reflection afterwards, first of all, just like. This is more aesthetic than anything else, but, like, I, I I found Spider-Man, his movements, the CGI that they did with him was not as good as the CGI they did on the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie in, like, 2001 or whenever that was. And I thought, that's really a shame. You know, like, it just, he did not, he didn't look like a person when he moved. Um, and um, and that didn't seem to happen with any of the other characters, but for some reason it seemed to happen with him. Plus, as I already mentioned, um, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May—that's that's that's not right. Come on, um, you know. You
2: know what? I, I, no, I I think that's a, a a refreshing new take on the character. And yeah. and if you're gonna make Peter Parker that young. Why would his aunt be, like, 98 years old? Yeah.
0: I don't know why that is, but, like, go ask Stan Lee, (laughs) because that's the (laughs) way you mean it. It was,
2: like, 1963, and she was, like, so frail. And it's, like, we we still had this character until, like, until recently. I mean, she's still alive. I I thought in in, in Bendis' Marvel Unlimited, they, they sort of did a great job of making... Aunt May, she was still an older woman, but she was sort of like She was you know, she was she was like smart, she was uh right. you know, she was a professional, she was, you know, she was classy, you know, she wasn't just like this old decrepit right.
0: Woman. Well they like made her realistic. they made her a baby boomer is what they did. In exactly. The, in right, right. exactly. Universe. And
2: I mean if if Peter Parker's gonna be, you know, fifteen, 15 you know, his aunt's probably gonna be Marissa Tomei's uh eight. And, not, and you know, and right. it makes her a, a more vivid character. I'm looking forward to seeing what they're doing. And I mean, Me too. gotta love Marissa too, Yeah, mean, gotta love Marissa. She's a doll, I, and you know, great actress. <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
0: I do, no, just not I, as Aunt May. That's all. I, I
1: am
3: on team Aunt May. <laughs> I am too. I'm with you, Matt. Okay. Though he doesn't, he doesn't call her Aunt May. He just calls her. He May. just calls her
0: May. Yeah, because that's yeah. the hip thing to do. Yeah.
3: Uh, well yeah, so I think, I think spider-man should call her aunt may that that i can agree with yeah. but i don't mind that she's been aged down because in the comics she's been a you know romantic interest for dr octopus and for uh, <laughs> j jonah jameson's father so like yeah it's all right if we've got a hipper happening Aunt may that that's that's in the spirit of one of her one of her comic book iterations yeah okay. and in
1: the comic book she's old and progressively getting younger
3: as time goes on, she just
1: ever gets younger and younger and younger. So eventually, she'll end up being Marissa Tomei in the comic
0: book. All right. Well, so so you guys are are wrong about that. So let's let's talk about uh. the other things that you might be wrong about. So here's my big problem. My big problem wasn't the Spider-Man stuff. Here was my big problem. Thinking about this film in comparison to the way that the Civil War story plays out in the comics and I know that they're going to be different and it's not that they're different that bothers me but I feel like in the comic you had a much more upfront ethical set of questions that surrounded personal relationships and I felt like in the movie it was a lot more punchy punchy and I didn't quite see the same sort of development so After reflecting on this, here's what what I think the problem is. I think the problem is that they tried to take a story that was very well-crafted for where the Marvel comic book universe was at the time that it came out 10 years ago and tried to fit it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe where it is now. And those two things, story-wise, don't look the same. So, for instance, some of the differences... In the comic, it involved the entirety of all of these superhuman characters spread out in various incarnations across the country. Uh, here, it only involves the Avengers and to me, that brought the stakes down a little bit because basically we're talking about a group that was already essentially a government organization i mean that you know not exactly, but they had, you know they started out as a creation of shield. And now they're going to be upset because they have to be, you know. It just—I didn't understand the conflict in the same way. Similarly, well, they, were,
3: they were free agents in Age of Ultron, right? Which was happening.
0: Sure, there, sure, like the sure. Um, but similarly, you know, one of the big things for you know in the comics was that everybody's secret identity was going to have to be revealed, and you know that isn't a thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because we basically know everybody's secret identity. So, like, they're just, there are things like that that didn't have the same stakes. But also, like, this wasn't just the US government. Like, I think when this story was told in 2006, it was still close enough to. 9-11 to the patriot act to all this kind of stuff that it had that kind of energy going and so it could be and remember like the heroes were all like escaping into canada like that was their their big way out um because this was all stuff that the u.s government was doing now you have this situation where it's international uh the oversight that was going to come was going to be through a panel of the united nations that was going to have these various checks and balances on it And because the story itself is so different, it was hard for me to see what was at stake and where the, you know, where the lines were. And it seemed to me like they didn't spend very much time on that. I mean, it was a two and a half hour movie and they spent like way more time beating the snot out of each other than they did, you know, digging into what are these questions and what do they mean? I mean, you know, obviously like they got, they got to spend a lot of time beating this knot out of each other. I understand that. That's like what Great people start. come to see. And they did in the comic too, but you know, like they had stuff in the comic about like this almost wrecked, uh, the marriage of, uh, Reed, Reed, Richards and, and, um, and Sue, his, and Sue, um, you know, like the, the interpersonal stuff was just very like front and center. And, um, I don't know. I, it didn't seem like it had that same kind of um, uh, urgency here.
3: Hmm.
1: There's been a big question in all of these movies, that's um, all the superhero movies that have recently come out, and that has been the increasing amount of violence and destruction that takes place in these movies. And I think Batman, and, Batman Superman, and this movie both are trying to tackle that issue, and in that, I see a, a sense of urgency because there's a reality that when these heroes try and do good, there's a lot of catastrophe they leave behind. So how do you deal with that? What do you do with that? And I think both movies tried in some way to answer that question and, and how that impacts their ability to be heroes in do the things that they feel called to do, but do it for good and not, not have death be a side effect.
3: Yeah, yeah. I also think the uh, political context of the movie is so very different from the comic book, like like you pointed out, Father Jonathan. But that the adaptations they made helped it to uh, helped it to speak to where we are now more. Like this in this movie, the Civil War doesn't have anything to do with American civil liberties, right? Like the 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 comic book Civil War made secret identities a big thing, and those just basically don't exist for anyone in the marvel cinematic universe save now for spider-man but yeah for most of these heroes their identities are public their you know uh superhero names are more call signs than uh you know masks hiding their identity but instead instead of that kind of civil liberties angle it was more of a humanitarian intervention angle and like an international governance deal because like you said yeah they're the accords they're being asked to sign would put them under UN oversight. And I think Captain America is kind of rightly skeptical that the UN will send them where they need to be, given uh, the history of the UN and the realities of uh, international relations. Like, no one actually brings this up in the movie because presumably they wanted to play overseas. But can you imagine if, you know, China and Russia had veto power over where the Avengers could be deployed? They would just never get to do anything.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. Um. And uh. Uh. And Father Kyle, you you bring up a, a a good point. And the fact that like there's all this damage, and we just like ignore it, you know, when it happens in these films. But of course, like if this was the real world, you know, that damage would be ongoing and and would continue to be felt. So, those are movie, I think
3: making it so that kind of collateral damage is reflected in the personal journeys of the characters because you see how iron man's own post-traumatic stress reflects the civilians that have been caught in harm's way during during their battles you see how uh a scarlet witch grappling with the destructive potential of her powers is both about you know her figuring out who she is and her place in the world and also how can she avoid you know harming people when she's trying to help them
2: and I, I think the smaller scale of the division, like if this is really a, a division between people who had become great friends, you yeah. know, their teammates and, and, and so it feels, you know, on the smaller scale, it felt, uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, you, obviously, you, you know, you mentioned the division in the marriage that happened in the comic books between, in, in between uh, Reed and Sue, but, this felt like a much more personal kind of thing, and, and and you could feel you could see them all trying to still be friends, and you know they yeah. still have enormous respect for one another, but they also have these deep differences. I think that's a really important kind of lesson to see modeled uh, on, on the screen, especially in our current kind of very divided political climate, where where it, it you know people are so polarized and uh the other side is so often demonized here you have Captain America and Iron Man still have a tremendous amount of respect for each other but they find themselves on opposite sides of this you know this very important decision
3: i think uh i think black widow's role is really important there cuz she you know is she disagrees with cap about the the merits of these accords but she still shows up when he's, uh, when he's going through a kind of personal crisis early on in the movie uh, and you know, expresses the friendship and solidarity there even a- across these lines. So her kind of whole arc has to do with these conflicting loyalties, but I'm glad they have a character who's consistently interested in de-escalating conflict and seeking reconciliation if possible.
2: Yeah, I mean, very relevant for our current situation in the church, in, in, in the country, um, just across the board. You know, I I think this was a an interesting film for sort of exploring friendship with deep differences. Yeah, it's I think it's a little bit
1: unfortunate perhaps that they didn't name. Maybe they if they had not attached the moniker of civil war to it, it wouldn't call to mind the comic book civil war. You know, that's one thing. Although the reality was that there was a civil war taking place. And the other the other side of it that I thought about is maybe they would have done better to have called this an Avengers movie and called it Avengers Civil War. I agree um, to to mark the fact that there was a conflict within the Avengers rather than
2: just you know a broader mm-hmm. sort of civil war. I mean it
1: it may have helped, but it it as we've said, it's answering two different issues. the comic books going. In dealing with one particular set of circumstances, and this is dealing with another. So in some ways, it's not entirely fair to compare the two.
2: But Captain America is also clearly the hero, right? I mean, it's his sort of... Can I say, I I love the kind of the moment of truth, you know, that happens in this beautiful Anglican service. (laughs) That's right. right. uh, I mean, that's just... uh, that was so cool Plant yourself
3: you know, like a was... tree by the river of truth
2: yes yes well and yeah. that great passage as you, as you as you quoted from from i think it's from mark twain in in the comic book uh captain america quotes it at length and yeah i mean what what is it what is the whole quote does anybody have it
3: um yeah i can pull it up in just one second uh the uh or at least, at least the end of it, this might be the whole quote, but the end of it is, when the mob and the press and the whole world tells you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that's originally from Mark Twain, if I'm not mistaken.
3: It might well be. It really encapsulates the stalwartness of Captain America. A big divide between him and Iron Man in this movie is actually just a question of uh, of trust, because Cap kind of trusts his instincts and convictions. He trusts yeah, that his love and friendship will be able to pull, uh, Bucky back from, back from the darkness. Right. And Iron Man doesn't have that kind of trust really in, in anyone. You know, he, he kind of keeps trying to, trying to give some, give someone else responsibility, whether it's, uh, an artificial intelligence, you know, in Age of Ultron or in this, the, the UN, right. Cause he doesn't seem to have that trust for himself or for his teammates. Hmm that's an Uh, interesting
0: point yeah let let me ask you this though because it's all well and good to look at it through the lens of the film and and you all you all are making me rethink this by the way i I feel like i need to watch the film again now and and uh (laughs) and reconsider but let's put ourselves for a second into this world like not just as viewers of it but let's pretend we actually lived in this world where all of these events had taken place and where these superheroes aren't just, you know, fictional creations that we look at for fun, but that they're like real people. How do you think you would feel at that point about whether or not there should be some kind of regulation on them? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I mean, my
1: initial reaction would say, yes, there should be some form. But then I immediately start to think, No, because it prohibits them from doing some of the things they may need to do in order to be able to save more lives.
2: That's a tough one.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, it it is. And I was faced with that decision in our this or that (laughs) last time. And, uh, you know, I think the kind of the strength of this is that both sides are are, are sort of reasonable. They have their own strengths. They have their own uh, important points, and and so you could really understand why uh, the characters would would take uh, the sides that they do. And it's not like, well, um, the the Falcon sided with, with Captain America. He's just hopelessly corrupt. No, it's he, <laughs> these people are are, are, are genuinely uh, following their their own conscience. And, and and that's something to be respected rather than than, than to demonize the, the different characters.
3: Yeah, the film really doesn't make either side obviously right or obviously wrong. Like it, it does de- let you definitely wrestle with that, right? Like even if you are are rooting for Captain America a lot, his his name's on the movie and he's a he's a great character, you can still see how maybe he's gone overboard, right? Maybe he trusts himself too much and should be listening more to Iron Man's reservations and interest in more formal structure governing these these heroes and their activities.
1: I think the comic book did the same thing. The comic book left you in that middle place because you could see both sides of it as well.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like the comic book had Iron Man's side just kind of cross a couple moral thresholds though that made it much harder for them. I don't know. For me, the movie was more balanced.
0: There's a great moment um, in the comic where Doctor Strange is... um, is off with the watcher and he's refused to take part on either side and he's fasting. And so the watcher starts asking him questions, you know, why don't you take a side? And he says, well, because, you know, cause, cause obviously, you, you know, you could, you could end the whole thing with your power right now. Why don't you do that? And he says, because precisely because you just said that, like I, I have too much power and because neither, and he, puts it right out there and says, neither one of these sides is exactly right. They're both coming with, with some things that are right and some things that are wrong and they need to be able to figure it out. And so then the watcher says to him, well, then why are you fasting? And he says, because this is too important, you know, and I need, you know, I need to do something for the good of the world. And I thought, wow, what an amazingly interesting moment, especially that he's fasting. You know, there's this like little interesting religious undertone to that. And also, by the way, did you guys, uh, I assume, then saw the uh, Doctor Strange um, preview?
3: Yeah, yeah. That I'm looks like it's going to be part of this universe, definitely. Yeah.
0: That looks pretty badass. And I have to say, I've never been a huge Doctor Strange fan, but I'm now suddenly like, oh, i got to go back and read a whole bunch of Doctor Strange and, <laughs> and get ready for this thing. <laughs> One of the things that is happening here is um, you have a character who has been associated with Law & Order, right? I mean, his name is Captain America, for crying out loud, who then... Uh, suddenly finds himself um, on the other side of the law, whether we're talking about international law or American law or what have you, because he sees what's happening and doesn't think that it's right, doesn't think that it's just. So my question for you all is, when, if ever, is it okay to break an unjust law?
1: Whenever it's for the good of your neighbor, that would be my answer. That's a very simple answer, but...
0: So how do you know when it's for the good of your neighbor?
1: Well, if it defends somebody else who who needs defense or saves somebody else who needs saving, that would be part of it.
0: Right. Yeah. But the, then the, isn't, there a, isn't there a difficulty there in that you may think that you're defending somebody or saving somebody who needs saving, but... You may very well be deluded, you know well, yes, yeah, well, and I,
2: I think part of the the um, the moral responsibility of civil disobedience is to accept the just penalties for 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 your disobedience, so I mean um, that would mean uh, going to jail <laughs> or, you know as, as a form of protest, it upholds you know the rule of law. But it also uh, allows uh, room for uh, for conscience. If you are really going to plant yourself uh, by by the the streams of truth, as it, then you need to also accept the responsibility uh, or, or the consequences of of of, of what that means for, for for yourself.
3: One concrete example comes to mind right uh, on this topic. It's Edward Snowden, uh, and I read like. number of different uh perspectives on him and you know there were people who approved of what he did but thought that he should nonetheless have uh stayed to stand trial right basically kind of for exposing illegal government activity through illegal means he should have nonetheless you know faced some kind of penalty for treason and he has faced a penalty of a sort by you know having to flee but he's you know he's fled he's not so trial that's an interesting question right but like at what point? When a government has broken so many of its own laws, does it, you know, cease to be something that uh, you should justly submit to at all? Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Well, so and I, I, thinking about this in in a Christian context, I mean, there's where the the tear is, right? Because we've got on the one hand, we have, you know, certainly clear passages in Holy Scripture that tell us that we should submit ourselves to government, and uh, you know, we ro- render
3: unto Caesar. What is Caesars?
0: Sure. Um, Romans 13. Romans 13, Romans, yeah. exactly. And we don't necessarily get off the hook for that just because government is not always what it should be, right? I mean,
2: Certainly the Roman government was not. <laughs> right. Right, it was Nero,
1: one of the worst emperors ever that Paul was writing that under.
0: Right. So, But then on the other hand, there have to be times where we say no— um and I think, at least for for Christians, the, the, the answer to the question when do you say no is when what government is asking me to do violates a higher law, right? Yeah, when what I'm being asked higher authority yes, than the government. Exactly. So if, if what I'm asked to do goes against um materially goes against the word of God in a way that is injurious not just to me, but to others, I cannot be a party to that. You can see that in Jesus's own life and the way that he lives that out. But I think you can see that also, if we're talking about examples of civil disobedience, you know, there's probably no better modern example than somebody like Martin Luther King Jr., who certainly was approaching things from a, a Christian perspective and understood what he was doing to be resisting unjust laws and uh, that he could do no other than to resist those unjust laws. And, um, you know, I mean, if you ever read something like his letter from a Birmingham jail, it is just filled with, I mean, not just scripture, but, you know, he quotes Augustine, he quotes Aquinas, you know, he understood what he was doing to be out of his place as as a christian and as a pastor and yet at the same time he did go to that jail right like he didn't you know go and therefore i will kill anybody who tries to lay a hand on me or something like he he does submit even to the unjust authority even while he is standing against the unjust authority
3: elizabeth anscombe the philosopher also was arrested several times in her life, both as a, she, she practiced what she preached, right? So she was a philosopher of, of action and of when violence could be justified. And as a young woman, she was arrested for anti-war protesting at, at different points. And uh, as a 90 year old woman, she was arrested for protesting the uh, outside abortion clinics. So she had a kind of strong, consistent ethic of life that led her into conflict with civic authority several times in her storied career
0: yeah there's so many examples another one you know father daniel berrigan who just died uh, not very long ago who was uh, arrested for his protests against nuclear weapons and and um, the vietnam war and things like that but again you know the the thing with all of these is we we always end up coming back to that question of how do you know right how do you know that the law is unjust and i think that's a difficult one to unravel Particularly if it's you know you against the world, right? If like everybody everybody else says, "Oh no, no, this is fine," that doesn't necessarily mean it is, right? You could be right, and everybody else could be wrong. But right. especially because
3: um, there's a a lot of people are just kind of comfortable with the status quo as long as it you know remains a status quo. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I think that's uh, a point that the movie raises very well it doesn't matter what the press says it doesn't matter what the government says it doesn't matter um you know what if everybody else disagrees with you 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 have to stay true to your own moral conviction despite all that i, I think that's a good word for for the church especially as as, as christian conviction becomes uh, less and less uh, you know, the accepted norm of society to say mm-hmm. just because the culture around us is changing, just because they might call what's wrong right, it doesn't mean that you should. You need to stay uh, planted by the, the waters of truth. I love that. I mean, it, a, an allusion to Psalm one, right? Right. It, you know, it, 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 it's very, uh, a beautiful statement and, uh, and calls for courage. It's true heroism. And and uh, it's it's demonstrated by Captain
3: America in the film. It's yeah. almost paradoxical that uh, Captain America is portrayed as such a kind of uh, countercultural hero, but it but it makes perfect sense in the the universe the film has portrayed, right? But the kind of the kind of general culture stereotype would be that Captain America, you know, it must always be this establishment person, but you know, by virtue of being a man out of time, right? By virtue of being a man of conviction sometimes surrounded by people too eager to arguably too eager to compromise. Captain America has, you know, both in uh, the comic book, right. And in this movie and in many other portrayals, uh, become this figure, you know, that stands for what is right. Often when the whole world is against him.
1: I think we have to always be careful though, in the way we phrase things, you know, Jonathan's right. in what you were saying before, the Word of God is always our root in determining mm-hmm. all these things. So even to say we have to be true to our own conscience, we have to be careful of that because that roots the sort of law within ourselves, right?
3: It has to be and, a well-formed conscience, right? It has to be a conscience yeah, has that's has been to formed be by the Word conscience. of God,
1: and yes. the teaching of the church, yeah. But mm-hmm. even that, it's sort of it's sort of extra-nos. It's outside of ourselves. And, uh, yeah. That has to always be it, whether, you know, it's taken root within us. Then we can say that we operate on the conscience, but it's always an external word that we hold on to. Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. Well, and I think that the teaching of the church here is especially um, fruitful and important and the, the teaching of the church in a historic sense as well, because uh, it's it's also easy, particularly for Christians um, or, or those who proclaim themselves Christians to sort of turn the Bible into a device by which they find uh, colorful things to support the things they wanted to do anyway. Um, There was, did you, did you all, do you all see the, uh, read the Babylon Bee? (laughs) Have you all experienced the Babylon Bee? The Babylon Bee, you did, yeah. The Babylon Bee is like, it's, it's a relatively new thing and it's wonderful. If you haven't discovered it, you should. It's, it's basically the onion for uh evangelicalism um oh
3: so like eye of the tiber is the right
0: just like eye of the tiber right yeah exactly and uh they had they had an article today that was um i'm gonna i'm gonna paraphrase the the headline but it was uh something like local man surprised to find that all the things god calls him to do are things he really likes
3: yeah (laughs) (laughs) yep
0: Well, that is going to do it for our conversation about civil war. There's so many things that we can say, perhaps things that we uh, should say, and hopefully you will say some of those things to us. Let's keep this conversation going. You know, there are many kinds of media, friends. There is the mainstream media, which you may have heard of. There is multimedia. Multimedia. There is about 20 minutes from where I'm sitting right now, the town of Media, Pennsylvania. (laughs) But all of them, as you know, pale in comparison to social media. Social media. It's what the kids love. And we at God and Comics are involved in the social media. You can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash God and Comics, or you can tweet at us. We are on Twitter at God and Comics. Tell us what you think, and um, and we'll keep the conversation going there. But for now, we're gonna move on to our final segment: This or That.
2: This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody, let's This or That. Huh?
0: Take it away, Father Kyle.
1: All right. Well, our first one today goes to Father Matt, and this is, in keeping with the theme of today's show, the Black Panther or Spider-Man, which was the better in the film?
2: It, yeah, that's a hard one. I mean-
0: Ask me, just, ask me. I got an answer
2: for you. <laughs> I know your answer already. <laughs> you know, the, the, I have to say, the Black, the Black Panther was probably more uh, um, well-formed. I mean, he had more screen time in, in the film. You got to see his character a little bit and, you know spider-man has been in a number of films already and so i was almost kind of more excited to see the black panther make his 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 movie debut because i'm such a huge black panther fan and uh yeah so i'm gonna have to go with my man tachella on this one <laughs>
1: yeah that's a good answer you know i was uh i i'm sure that was father jonathan's answer as well yes um, <laughs> I was happy to know that the uh, the voice that I've been reading for the Black Panther in my head all this time was the voice that he had.
0: <laughs> I <was> pretty close. <laughs> you got yeah, that no, w- he... Wakandan accent down in your head, right? I did. Yeah. I did.
2: It, it was super cool when the bullets started bouncing off his vibranium suit and everything. Yeah, yeah, that I was a nice touch.
1: All right, Father Jonathan. Next one goes for you, the Phantom or Flash Gordon.
0: Interesting. I think I'm going to go with the Phantom. Yeah, I don't really have a good reason other than that I just think the Phantom looks cooler.
2: Well, the African heroes are dominating this or that already. Yeah, I know.
1: That's true. I was going to pit (laughs) Black Panther against the Phantom, but I thought I would go another way with it. You're right. (laughs) All right, we'll give one to Lexi. Caddyshack
3: or Airplane. The airplane, because uh, I Just Not and Don't Call Me Shirley, is just a, uh, a <coughs> choice pun that you can use every day if you try. That's right. <laughs> Good choice. Both great movies, though. <laughs> All right, we'll go
1: back to Father Jonathan. Cool Whip or Whipped Cream?
0: Cool Whip. I, I like my whip topping fake. That's how I like it. I'm not going to apologize for that. You You like
1: sweetened chemicals?
0: I know, right? Like, well, it's just certain things, you know? Like, I know, like, I've read Michael Pollan. I know I'm not supposed to like this stuff, but, you know, I can't help it. Like... (laughs) And I'll tell you another thing. You didn't even ask this one, but I'll tell you anyway. Margarine tastes better than butter. I'm sorry. No, it does. It no, tastes better ridiculous. than butter. No. First, of all, first of all, I don't want to spend six hours trying to butter my toast, okay? Which is what happens when I pull real butter out. You know why? Because real butter doesn't want to actually go on my toast. Margarine's like, I'd love to go on your toast, Jonathan. I would mm-hmm. love that to happen. Butter does not do that. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's better. I'm sorry. It is better living through chemicals.
1: Jonathan has crossed the threshold. (laughs) You're supposed to leave the butter out so that it softens. Then it'll go on your toast just fine.
0: Yeah. But then that's gross too. Then you get the like slimy, like, uh, the slimy butter, like rolling around in the package. And, um, (laughs) it's just, uh, okay. I mean, I'll cook with butter, but, like, I'm saying, when you're buttering bread, I'd rather have margarine.
2: I'm sure Aunt May never uses margarine.
0: (laughs) Well, Marissa Tomei Aunt May probably does, because she's so young and hip and with it.
1: (laughs) And that was going to be my next this or that, but... Oh, Oh, really? (laughs) Okay, well, we have kind of already answered that one along the way. Um, but we'll ask Father Matt that anyway. The Marissa Tomei Aunt May or the comic book Aunt May?
2: Well, see, the comic book Aunt May is so diverse. Um, yes, we'll go with the original comic book Aunt May. Well, you know, um, we've only um, seen the briefest of glimpses of, of Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. So I, you know, I'm i going to withhold, you know, proclaiming her to be the, the best version of Aunt May. Uh, and, and say, you know, I, the the comic book Aunt May. Uh, my favorite Aunt May is um, probably the the most vivid character is is, is Bendis's uh, Aunt May from Marvel uh, mm. Unlimited for Spider Man yeah. Unlimited.
0: Mm. Everyone always remembers their first Aunt May.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I thought uh, uh, mainstream
3: Marvel Aunt May. Oh.
2: I thought Sally Field was a great Aunt May, too, but she didn't really get a lot of screen time in the movie.
3: Not much material. Mainstream Marvel Aunt May once was uh, being deceived by the chameleon pretending to be Peter Parker, but she actually secretly saw through his disguise and slipped drugs into his teeth so he would be knocked unconscious. And meanwhile, she'd been knitting the whole time, and then when the, camera, you know, the comic panel shows what she's been knitting, she's been knitting a sweater that says, Got You, or something on it. So yeah. I thought that
0: was pretty cool. If, if, you'd like a, if you'd like a great Aunt May story, in one of the recent uh, runs of Howard the Duck by Chip Zdarsky, <laughs> Aunt May teams up with Howard the Duck to fight a, a villain who has been taking over old people and making them do bad things. So, That's
3: funny. That's, there that's, you funny. Go. that's the new dynamic duo right there.
0: That is. Yeah. That is.
1: Before they decided to relaunch Spider-Man yet again, they were talking about doing this whole series of Spider-Man movies, and one
3: of them was an Aunt May movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was an espionage pass that they were making up just for yeah. the sake of having that movie.
0: What <laughs> would that be? That's so Quite weird. Like idea,
1: like, <laughs> no, like no. agents or like a Peggy Carter agent of Shield, but the Aunt May version.
0: Oh man, May Parker,
1: agent, so agent so of Shield. Bad. All right, Alexio, I'll give you this one. Um, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner or
3: Green Lantern Mm -hmm. Guy Gardner Uh, Kyle Rayner Kyle Rayner hands down Kyle Rayner is an artist who uses his reign to create very complicated constructs because of his vivid imagination Guy Gardner is most famous for once getting knocked out by one punch from Batman so (laughs) give it to Rayner
1: that was actually my first introduction to Guy Gardner was that uh, issue number (laughs) 5 or 6 of Justice League and
3: Batman punched him in the face yeah, he's he's a great character in his place, but his place is getting punched by Batman.
0: Yeah, you know, you got You all got to give Guy Gardner his due. Come on, here. First of all, Guy Gardner is able to wield both a green ring and a red ring at the same time. Okay, is he really? So I'm pretty okay. sure
3: Kyle Rayner. Kyle Rayner was I... the White Lantern, though. Uh, yeah. So why does Guy Gardner look like he? I'm not... his Hair by putting a bowl on his head.
0: <laughs> guy no, gardner I mean, was also really guy,
2: a, a very lame haircut
0: guy gardner was also a baltimore city cop like he was like a a, a tough guy i'm not saying he's better than kyle rayner i'm just saying like he he's not a joke man like you know give him give him his due that's all that's all i'm saying yeah
1: well kyle rayner has the better name
0: uh <laughs> yeah i know what you mean rayner right yeah. <laughs>
1: that's right captain
0: crunch or alphabet um i'm gonna i'm gonna have to go with captain crunch yeah captain crunch is um is a pretty tasty uh pretty tasty cereal it it destroys your insides to eat it but um you know (laughs) that's true i find with most good things so
2: i like to have Captain Crunch with Cool Whip, personally. <laughs>
0: well, see, now that's 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 the difference between you and me. And I, I prefer yeah, putting margarine on mine. Yeah.
2: Serving of margarine as well.
1: I have to tell you, this just reminds me. My father-in-law has a um, a dessert that he likes to concoct every once in a while. That is wheat thins, butter spray, and whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: That is genuinely disgusting. Goodness.
1: That is very gross, isn't it?
0: I my one of my uh, best friends growing up, um his parents used to like to eat raw ground beef on a triscuit. Like uncooked, <laughs> they would just throw it onto a triscuit and just eat it. It was so gross. <laughs> so gross.
1: Oh, steak tartare. Huh? Oh god. Oh, yeah. they vampires? <laughs> <laughs> Now Father Matt looks like he's going to throw up. Yeah. All right, let's move on. The uh, The Captain Crunch one was inspired by the uh, loss of that fabulous musician Prince recently. Mm. Uh, Captain Crunch happened to be one of Prince's favorite foods. Um, ah. Captain Crunch with soy milk. So in keeping <laughs> with that vein, Father Matt... <laughs> <laughs> The Prince song 1999 or Purple Rain. I'm going to say
0: Purple Rain. My friend uh, Hans Feeney, Pastor Hans Feeney, wrote a, a great article about Prince and his faith and so forth in the Federalist a couple weeks ago just after his death. But one of the parts in there that was really great is he talked about how out on tour he would have, you know, the girl groupies. And they would come back to his room and they'd get there and he would pull out the Bible and he would start reading passages from like First Corinthians or whatever it was. And they they thought at first he was like joking or like or he was going to say something really deep about it. And instead, he would just continue to read until they got fed up and left. <laughs> <laughs> I just and I, I, I love that idea of Prince just sitting there reading the Bible Uh, for the sake of irritating the group (laughs) yeah
1: that's
0: so funny
3: where edifying too who knows yeah that's right
1: god's word has power in it you don't know how it worked on them
0: absolutely well that's that's gonna do it for us today we hope that uh, you all have enjoyed the show today uh alexi it's been really wonderful having you on the program is there anything you want to plug before you before you go
3: yeah, absolutely. Folks can find me in my writing at about.me slash that's A-L-E-X-I-S-A-R-G-E-A-N-T, and there's links there to my Twitter, uh, Alexisargent is my handle, there's links to uh, my writing on superheroes at Acculturated, and my writing on religion at First Things, and at Alatea.
0: Great, well thank thanks, and we, we hope we'll uh, be able to have you on again sometime, this has been a lot of fun, so...
3: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, well thanks so much It would be great fun to come back This was a pleasure
0: The show as always can be found at Godandcomics.com You can give the show another listen there And uh, as always we have links To some of the rad stuff that we talked about So be sure to go and Check that out Our theme music Which you are Hopefully Banging your head to Right this moment is by Father Paul Wheatley who always picks the correct side in any sort of clergy civil war that he finds himself in. Until next time, <laughs> I'm, I'm Father Jonathan Michigan.
2: I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. And we'll see ya.